You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you. From God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen. Would you kiss your mother with that mouth? It's a question that I I tried to figure out who first said it, and, and I did research and I couldn't find anything. It's in a lot of movies, this question, would you kiss your mother with that mouth? Uh, if you haven't heard it, what it means is is it's kind of a way to, to let somebody know that their language is a little too salty for the conversation that's happening. When someone is using bad language, bad words, or something like that, uh, my friends would say this, other people would say this, would you kiss your mother with that mouth? That mouth is saying all these evil, wicked things, using this kind of language, and the implication is, would you want your mom to hear you say these things? Would you want her in your company right now? Isaiah is there, and he has this vision of God. And he kind of asks himself the same question, except for not his mother, now his king. He's there in the presence of God. He sees all of this, and what does he say? Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah knows what his lips do. And notice he doesn't say, for I'm a sinful person, I do wicked deeds or anything like that. No, Isaiah goes right to his mouth. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. And now he's there with his unclean lips, with the presence of God right there. And what does he say? You know, everybody always wishes they could see God that they could have some kind of miracle or something like that happen to them. When you talk to people on the street, they say, well, that would make them a believer if they could just have some kind of epiphany, some kind of vision or something. I I don't think they know what they're asking for. I don't think we know what we're asking for. Imagine that, the presence of God right there. And Isaiah doesn't say, oh, wow, this is really cool. Here I am in the presence of the Trinity The presence of God here dwelling in this place, he doesn't say that. No, he says, whoa. And this isn't just kind of a a highly language kind of whoa to try and sound important or smart or something like that. No, this is a real, real whoa. For I am lost. That's what's going to happen. Isaiah is in an interesting situation right at this time. And he tells us what's happening when this vision happens, doesn't he? This is right when King Uzziah has died. And that's that's, that's really an interesting time for the people of Israel. King Uzziah, he had a really long, lengthy reign. Uh, Now, he did some bad stuff. He tried to take over the role of the priests. For that, he gets leprosy. I mean, he wasn't a great king in a godly sense. But in a worldly sense, Uzziah was great. 52 years he reigned. That's a long time for one person to be king. 52 years Uzziah reigns. And what happens during his time? Well, good things. Good things for the people. It's a time of peace. It's a time of the expansion of the kingdom. All sorts of good things. It's a time of wealth. Through the first part of Isaiah, Isaiah kind of condemns them for things they're doing. 
And he talks about all the wealth of the things they have, the animals they're using for the sacrifices, the number of them, all this stuff. It points to us that Israel, they were doing good. That's what's happening during Uzziah's reign. But now he's dead. What happens when a king dies? What happens when there's a transfer of leadership? Well, there's chaos. You can see this when you read any kind of novels about kings, or even not novels, but histories of kings. What happens when kings die? Other people look like they can take things over. Now, Uzziah had a son, Jotham, who had been kind of co-reigning with him ever since Uzziah got this leprosy for trying to take over the priestly duties. So Jotham is probably going to come into control, but there still is this chaos. Plus, while they've been expanding, there's this pesky thing over in Assyria. Tiglath-Pilzer III and the Neo-Assyrian Empire, they're starting to grow, to take over things. And if we would fast forward about 20 years in time, we would see Israel lost to Assyria. Two more decades, we'd see Jerusalem lost. This is the time of the divided monarchy. That's what's going to happen. The king has died, this king that ruled in peace, that had all this good stuff, and now there's all this chaos and unrest of what's going to happen now that the king is dead? What's going to happen with this Assyrian army that's kind of mounting and growing? And it's in the midst of this that Isaiah gets this picture. Because while they're doing good financially, peacefully, and things like that, the people of Israel, Jerusalem, are not doing well spiritually. And that's one of the false things we have. When we're doing well, we kind of think that God must be pleased with us, right? And so they have this false sense of security and worship. They're worshiping God with their lips, but their hearts, their minds, are wicked not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And this is the unclean lips that Isaiah is talking about. Lips that would praise God, but then go off and do other things. Lips that would praise Him, but then go and stab each other in the back. Lips that would say they trust God, but then when they look at the Assyrian army, when they look at all these other things coming up, Well, they don't really trust in God so much anymore. Now they want to go and maybe make alliance with Egypt or with other people. They want to trust in their wealth and all these other things that are happening. That's what Isaiah is talking about. You see, it's not just the things that come out of our lips. It's where they come from, which is in our heart and our minds, these evil things. And we're oftentimes in the same exact situation. We think the things that make us unclean, that make us bad, are things that are outside of us, right? That's the way the people thought. Jesus talked about this. When he says this, he says, You hypocrites, he's talking to the Pharisees here, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. Isaiah was talking about what's going on during his time, but it doesn't change. It doesn't change for us either. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said this, These people honor me with their lips, But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
And Jesus calls the people to him and he says this, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. That's what they were worried about, being unclean, touching the wrong things. All of these purity laws that they were teaching as the commandment of God, that's what they're worrying about instead of who they actually are. He says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And then one of the funniest lines of Scripture comes next. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, Do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying this? Well, of course they'd be offended. Because Jesus is criticizing them, just as Isaiah was criticizing the people during that time. And Isaiah is even criticizing himself, too. Here he is in this beautiful picture of God presenting himself to Isaiah And what happens? Isaiah says, woe is me. This is not a good thing. Here we are worried about our kings. Isaiah sees the true king, and that's how he talks about him. He sees him high, seated on a throne, with the angels, the seraphim, around him in humble service, calling back and forth all of these wonderful things. It's in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Here's the one they really should be worrying about. Not King Uzziah, not Jotham, not Egypt, not Tiglath, Pilzer III, but the true king, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the angels, all things. That's who Isaiah sees, and he's struck with fear, not joy, because there he is in the presence of God, Hearing the angels singing these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's a beautiful phrase, too. Sometimes we think of it as it just fills whatever is around us, the empty space. That's where the glory of God is. That's not what Isaiah or what the angels are saying here. God's glory is the filling of the earth. And everything is God's glory. And here they are worried about the Assyrians, the Egyptians, their wealth, all of these things. And yet God is there in their midst. Woe is me. Unclean lips. I wouldn't want to speak to God with that kind of a mouth, is what Isaiah is saying. And I'm lost. I also dwell with a people of unclean lips. Isaiah knows what's going on. He knows they deserve the wrath of God. They're supposed to trust in him above all things, but they're not. They're trusting after all of these other things, worried about all of these other earthly things, and not God. But then God shows his grace. And it's a beautiful picture, a beautiful comfort to Isaiah. After this, Isaiah is called to go out and really kind of rip into the people. And God even tells him, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go and you're going to prophesy and you're going to teach them. And I'm going to tell you right now, they're not going to listen to you. But yet you're still called to do this. So what possibly is going to motivate him to do that? Well, the grace of God. He's a man of unclean lips. Isaiah knows that he's in trouble there with the presence of God. So God sends this angel with a coal down to touch his lips and tell him this. Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Now go, 
and speak with those lips that have been cleansed. That's a beautiful sentence, isn't it? This coal has touched your lips, and now you are cleansed. Your sin is taken away. All of that stuff you're worried about with your mouth, your unclean lips, your faithless worship, all these things, that sin is taken away, and not just taken away and kind of put in a closet. Sometimes we think that's what happens when, with forgiveness, that God just kind of overlooks our sin. He doesn't say that. He says your sin is taken away and your guilt is atoned for. Something else has taken its place and its wrath. The woe that you deserve, Isaiah, the woe that your people deserve, that woe has been placed somewhere else. Pointing to Christ, pointing to the sacrifice of the cross, where the Son of Man is lifted up so that the world can look at him just as it looked at that snake in the wilderness and know of its salvation. Not just sin being removed, but guilt being atoned for, taken away. So what does this have to do with us? Well, I hope you can see. Our situation is often just like the people of Israel. Sometimes we have peace and prosperity, and things look really, really good. And in those times, what do we focus on? Well, often we focus on ourselves and how great things are with us and what we've done. But while sometimes things are peaceful and prosperous, markets crash. Jobs are lost, tornadoes, other forces of nature, we saw that this week. All of these things can come in as well. And that's what the people of Israel are kind of going through. They're comforted by what they have, but then they see that it can be taken away and that comfort starts to disappear. So they start worrying about all these things and not focusing where they should have been all along, which is on the worship of God and who he actually is. We can do the same thing, and it's a call for us to repent in all these situations, whether it's peace and prosperity and we're just kind of comforted and going along with the flow or whether we're struck with all sorts of evil things, we look where we need to look, and that's to Christ and the cross. Much like the people of Israel, we fail at the commandments, especially the first. Trust in God above all things. Do we really do that? One way that Luther gave us, uh, it's a beautiful way to kind of figure out who your God is. He says, what do you go to bed thinking about and wake up thinking about? That's where you're putting your trust. That's where you're putting all of your energy. And that can be in good things, family, children, things like that. But even good things, when we make those our idols, can become bad. And so what do we do? Well, like Isaiah, we repent. We know what we've done. We don't need a vision like he has either because we've seen a greater vision, which is that of the Christ on the cross. This is what Jesus is talking about with Nicodemus. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus comes and he dies for those with unclean lips. For you, for me. He dies for those that mocked him and who still mock him. And when this king dies, there's no one there to take his throne. So what happens? Well, he's raised. That's the joy of Easter. 
Our king has died, but we don't look for another king, another heir, another person to come and do this, because that king was the perfect king who conquers death, sin, Satan, all of these evil things, all of the things we ought to really worry about. And he's the God who comes and dwells with us today. We don't cry out, woe is me, although we do confess our sins. Because why? Well, just as Isaiah heard this message, your sin is removed, your guilt is atoned for, that message is for you as well. We see it really in the Lord's Supper, don't we? That's when we sing this hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God of Sabaoth, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We sing that because we're reminded that our situation is just like Isaiah's. We live in a world of chaos, of all these different things happening. And when we sing that song, we can remember, just as Isaiah heard this, that that's the message that really matters. Here we are in Christ's presence. And he takes his body and his blood like that coal from the altar, and he touches it to your unclean lips, and he tells you this, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. He fills all things. He fills the waters of holy baptism. He fills the bread and the wine of the supper. He fills the words of your pastor as he tells you your sins are forgiven. He fills the words of Scripture that tell you the same message. Yes, he fills all things just as he did back then. But he fills it not with wrath for you, because that wrath has been poured out on his Son. And so he gives you what is the Son's. He gives you peace, comfort, joy. He gives you the promise of everlasting life that though we deserve to say, woe is me, I'm lost, Jesus has come and found us. He has blessed you beyond belief. Now may this peace of God that surpasses all of our understanding, may it guard and keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus your Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 9.15, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 10.45 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.